Hey everybody and welcome to the Payments Podium. I'm Kevin Olson, the Payments Professor, and glad to bring to you today guest star on the podium, which will be Richard Ray. Uh, Rick, would you please just give a quick introduction to yourself to our audience? Um, sure. Uh, I'm uh, I'm been in the payments business my entire life, spent uh, 52 years in banking. Uh, didn't want to start there, uh, wanted to become an artist. Uh, and so went to art school, graduated from art school, and then um, met a girl. And I wanted to take her out on a date, and I didn't have any money. So I called my godmother at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. She happened to work in the coin and currency department. Uh, I told her I needed a summer gig, and she told me to call this guy named Rudy. So I called up Rudy, uh, and uh, I said, hi, my name is Richard Ray. And he said, oh, you're Rosie's boy. Come down here, 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, get a haircut, wear a shirt, and we'll put you to work. And uh, 52 years later, <laughs> I retired as an executive director at J.P. Morgan Chase. All right, Rich, I knew that you'd be great to be on the podcast because the first question I always ask everybody is, how'd you get started in uh -huh. banking? And when your introduction tells how you got started in banking and has to do with to pay for a date, that is a great start in electronic payments. Yeah. Now, so your first job was actually working for the Federal Reserve. What What was your first like task? What was the first thing you, you the did first them? The first job ever. My first job ever was bussing tables at a beach. No, no, in banking, in banking and payments. <laughs> I mean, in payments, it was. Uh, it was. I was working the afternoon shift uh, uh, in the summer uh, in the check processing department of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Back then, the Fed processed all the payments for all the banks, and so we were processing about. 13 million payments a day. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the reconcilement clerks, it must have been a staff of about 100 of them. Uh, and summer would come and they'd have to go on vacation. And so the Fed back then would hire the sons, daughters, cousins, and and um, and, and aunts and uncles of, of, of their employees to come in and work the summer hours, right? So... I first thing I did was learn how to reconcile blocks of checks. And then uh, because I was on the afternoon shift and we were young and we were college kids, uh, they basically taught us every other function within the department. So in the first year, I basically learned everything about check processing, you know, uh, from from receiving the checks, opening them up, getting them to the to the tables, running them through the computers, uh, uh, sorting them out, bagging them up, sending them where they needed to go, and then and then reconciling the incoming cash letters to the outgoing um, uh, dispatch tapes that we had. So it was an interesting job. It was lots so of that was like in the day of true manual processing. I mean, I yep. know you said computers. But yeah. those are more like sorting computers to be able to just uh, get things where they needed to go or well, to help when distribute I started, them. I started back in like 1969, right? So uh -huh. a long time ago. And uh, 
they had introduced MICR, which is magnetic check character recognition on the bottom of the checks, but not all banks were using it yet, right? So there were some checks that came in and were deposited. They didn't have any MICR on them. And you had to sort those checks manually uh, by using the fractional ABA routing transit number on the, on the upper right corner of the check. Uh, and the bottom part of the fraction indicated the area of the country that the check was on. It was all based on Federal Reserve districts. And then the top number was the city in that district and the, and the, the short form ABA number of the bank itself. So that's, we would basically process those manually. Most of them we, we'd run through, uh, these IBM computers, uh, that were, um, that were like the old 1419s and old, uh, um, you know, eventually we got to the IBM 3890s, which were a godsend because those things could actually process well over 1,300 checks a minute, right? So, That's a lot of checks. Yeah, we would, we would run, you know, we'd run those machines all, all day. We'd get a couple of, we'd get over 100,000 checks processed every hour on one of those machines. So it was, it was pretty amazing. You know, all right. I love to you mentioned transactional routing numbers. Anybody out there listening that's studying for the NCP, you got to know what those things are. They're still on checks today, even though we primarily use the micro line. Right now, a, a question I get a lot that I think is, you know, a, a fun one when it comes to physical checks is people ask how many checks are in a batch. So how, how many checks are in a batch? Yeah, around 250 to 275. And the way they came up with that is the the IBM engineers um, basically measured the amount of checks the average person could put in their hands, right? And just grab one hand and then put a rubber band around them because because they had to put them in boxes and ship them around the country in order to get the money that those checks represented, right? So if you were a depositing bank, you would get that the, those checks over to Teller's window you would have to prove them up at the teller station. Then you would bring them to the centralized check processing department at your bank, and you'd have to run them through these machines and reconcile them and make sure that they all proved. And then you'd send them to the local Federal Reserve, and then the local reserve would, they would run what they called the transit checks, which are the checks they had to ship out of the city. And, and they'd run those first to get them onto airplanes and trucks so they would, you know, if you were, were in New York, you'd have to get a check drawn on Bank of America to San Francisco back then, right? So, and they actually flew them on the in the bellies of planes. So they did all of that. Uh, and it was, you know, they could do it within one or two days, right? Uh, for local checks, they would take the local checks, sort those out after they got, they finished processing what they called the transit checks or the country checks, and then uh, they those checks would be presented in that local city because they were, you know. And the mix was usually about 75-25, 75% local, 25% out of town. And the out-of-town checks were always a challenge because they had to get them out the door before the airplanes left at the airport, right? So they had, you know, pretty strict deadlines of getting the checks from the branches into the, into the courier, um, trucks into the operating center, running them through the machines, making sure they all proved so they could let them go so the bank could get their money, you know. And then back in, you know, it was it was a real challenge because 
back, let's say, in the 70s and 80s with higher interest rates, banks would lose money if they couldn't get the checks collected right away because they've, they had given credit to their depositors and they wouldn't get credit and then until, until the check hit the bank it was drawn on and it was you know, processed in that bank. So, so float was a big deal. That, that, and there was just a lot to the process. Yes. Like, this, this is great because I've also told people, you know, when they ask how many checks are in a batch, a physical batch, I'd hold up my hand and go, oh, about this many. Yep. And they thought I was, you know, being sarcastic, which I can be. But I was like, that's well, really where it came from. So thank you for being able to yeah. show and, that. And by the way, it also dictated the size of the box that they used to put the checks in. Right. So the, the check boxes were about this, the length of a business check. I mean, the width of a business check. Uh -huh. And you could put 10 handfuls of checks in the 10 bundles of checks per box. Right. And that each, that usually made a block of work. Right. Which so they they would total up the 10 batches. They would prove they would provide a total for the 10 batches. And then if that's what you had to prove to when you ran the checks through the machine, right? So it was, it was this huge manual reconcilement thing every day, uh -huh. you know? And then, and not all the checks would make it, right? So what would happen is they'd run the checks through the machine and some of them would crinkle or they'd go to the wrong thing and they'd wind up in a pocket that they called the reject pocket. And that reject pocket, the clerk who had to reconcile that, that, that batch of checks, that box of checks, would have to add, add those checks up by hand and then add them to the accumulated amount that the machine counted to make sure that they matched the total of the box that they got. And if they didn't, they'd have to sit there for until they could prove the box, you know? I've told people about how that used to be and they're like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to do that, <laughs> but that is how we used to be. Now, I, I got to say, so you started off in check processing. You right. know, and you're talking late 60s, early 70s. Right. What What do you think was like the next big move for you in a, a payments at least? Uh, where did you go from, let's say, from check processing, well, all that manual process? You talked about getting the new IBM systems. What was like the next big innovation or movement in payments then? Well, for for me, uh, the next thing I did, I mean, I, I, I actually, the in terms of payments, the next thing I did is I, I worked on what they called ACH payments, right back, uh -huh. right? So ACH stood for Automated Clearinghouse. Uh, it was introduced in the late 60s, early, the first um, ACH department in the country was actually at the New York Fed, where, this, where the Social Security Administration and the Social Security Insurance um, uh, operation would send us these large 27 inch mag tapes, right? And those mag tapes had an associated IBM punch card deck with them, right? And the way we processed what was called an electronic payment back in 1971, 1972, is we would get those big tapes via truck from, from the treasury department at the Federal Reserve, and we would tape them with duct tape to the check boxes that we were presenting in the morning to the banks. Right, so the banks would have these these big mag tapes, uh, and then they would have then and the and the associated IBM cards, as well as the paper checks that they had to process. And we would 
we would we would uh, present them in the morning so that the drawn on banks could run those checks and credit those accounts and 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 finally you know credit the customers for the for the disbursement for the ACH disbursements now let's let's make sure cuz some people listening have not well they were born and the internet was already here. Okay. Yeah. They're not like you and I and no before internet, you know, it was a different time. Uh-huh. You're talking electronic payments. They uh-huh. were electronic, but the, the mode of the data transportation was, was still physical. physical. Yeah. Physical tape. Yep. Yep. Not wow. telephone lines. It was just a physical tape. And they now, fought- okay. Then did you did you imagine at all at that point in time in working with ACH in those early days that it would become anything close to the behemoth that it is now? Uh, we processed millions of payments, so I I would I would assume that it would just get bigger. <laughs> I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I don't. You know, the one thing that's happened throughout my history is that there are just more occasions of payment, right? So, <laughs> internet created more payments. You know, um, all the public transportation created more payments. You know, think about apps like PayPal and and uh, you know, and Venmo and and all the others. Right? Those are all additional occasions of payment, and what they do for the most part are are either creating a separate payment transaction or they're replacing cash. Right? So. So for the most part, electronic payments, the more that there are, um, they, I mean, there's been a slight reduction in the amount of checks and hopefully there'll be even a greater reduction in the amount of checks. But I mean, uh, check volume is still pretty large, you know, and the bank I work for, you know, processed. I mean, when you add up, the credit card payments, debit card payments, ACH payments, check payments, Zelle payments, real-time payments uh, in in the U.S. You know, J.P. Morgan Chase probably processes close to a hundred million payments every single day. That's a lot of payments. I love how you worded it, though. Is through your history, there have been more occasions for payments. Yep. And, and, and what I hear all the time is people, especially we're talking faster payments nowadays, the hottest topic, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, where's the use case? Who's going to use this? I'm going to tell them that right there, that there will be and are more occasions constantly growing for payments. Oh yeah. And then when you think about, I mean, if you fast forward to, 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 to now, right. And we're talking about the metaverse and web three and, and, uh, you know, the whole creator economy that is being uh, developed and evolving on the web today, right? You're going to wind up with the demand for micropayments, right? Now, credit cards aren't good for micropayments because of the fees and the networks involved, but real-time payments play to micropayments. And I'm currently a um, on the advisory board of an internet startup called Drop. That, uh-huh. that's focusing on micropayments, right? So we're integrating micropayments into uh, creator websites. You know, we just went live uh, about a, we went live about two weeks ago on WordPress and about three weeks ago on uh, Spotify, 
right? And so, right. can you explain a micropayment? Because I mean, I, I know people get the creator economy and all that, but what, what's an actual micropayment that the creator economy is using? Okay, so here's the thing, right? If you're uh, if you're on a on uh, you know a Shopify site or uh, and 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 there are other uh, there are other sites that where artists can upload songs, right? Uh-huh. And someone could go and and listen to that song, and if they wanted to tip the artist because they liked the song or wanted, to, you know, that would be potentially a micropayment. So if you want to give them a dime or a dollar or whatever, or you want to buy, let's say you want to buy content, right? So mm-hmm. so the, so the, there's a need in the marketplace right now for for yet another way to get paid because um, if you're, everybody's familiar with what's going on with cable TV and streaming services and right. So that the public, you know, is at the point now where they're saturated with, uh, with the demand to pay for, for video content like Apple TV and, and Paramount Plus and, and Netflix. And, and at some point, there's got to be one of these companies are going to have to um, satisfy the consumer demand because consumers don't want to have to pay a monthly fee to 30 different companies so right. they can watch TV, right? So the issue is, the issue becomes, you know, how do we enable consumers to pay for the entertainment that they want without having to be stuck with a monthly subscription fee, which is how a product like Drop, a payment product like Drop becomes valuable, right? Because, because with Drop, once you've, once you've enabled your your website, your streaming service, or your video service with with Drop, you can click on the little drop and pay five dollars or four dollars or three dollars. Now, and you know, payments under ten dollars. If you if if you try to pay those with a credit card, the card company is going to get like forty to fifty percent of that payment, right? Because the fees are so large, right? But because they charge you on a percentage basis, right? And a, and a per item basis. So something like Drop, which is, which is self-contained, is a lot less expensive. So, mm-hmm. so those, those sellers of, of media and or streaming or, and or, you know, even companies like the New York Times and Washington Post, right now, how many times have you been on uh, uh, Twitter or um, you know a social media site or Facebook, and you click on a link, and you get to the link, and it's like a New York Times article, and they say, "Well, if you want to read this article, you got to subscribe." Oh my gosh, it happens to me whenever I'm researching something. Right, right, and so, and then how many? So you can't subscribe to every single publication out on the web it's just it's 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 not cost effective right but if you had a way to pay for the one article you wanted to read 
you'd be able to do that. And that's where that's where uh, Drop comes in, right? Where a company like Drop, where you could you can integrate the application in and uh, pay for for any you know for for a single piece of content, right? Well, I got to give a quick shout out to another former Fed guy, Dan Button. Uh-huh. He's out there looking at everything in the world of faster payments, and he puts out reading lists of the articles to, to actually go look for so yeah. that I don't run into that situation. But uh-huh. basically, if I get this right, then what you're doing with the micropayments is instead of like, say, with Paramount, me subscribing to all of Paramount, I just pay to watch an episode of uh, what's the new hot show? Yellowstone. Yeah. Or something like that. Or I, I go I'm building a payments professor video and I need an image instead of subscribing right. to monthly. I just pay for the one image. Right. Right. And, okay. someone- and and we're bypassing or not bypassing. We're looking at an alternative to cards because of those low dollar payments. The problem with them is the card networks. It's it's a crazy amount of money. So right. what what payment channel then is the use yep. case here for or, or going to be used? What payment channel would your micro deposits go across? Well, most well, first, well, the drop drop is next generation blockchain based. Right. So we're so um, we built the payments capability on top of the Hedera hash graph. Right. And what? If the Hedera hash graph, which okay. is the, which is a next generation blockchain capability. So instead of building blocks of data, they hash graph the data and it's a lot more efficient. So so, um, you know, a lot of the environmental criticism around blockchain is that it's going to eat up all the electrical power in the entire world if if everybody moves to, to blockchain payments, right? So the hash graph is is like uses like a micro fraction of that of that potential energy, right? And uh, and it is also well, I guess you guys will have to do some research because we're only thirty minutes long here. But at at the end of the day, what's important about the the hash graph is that is that it it is uh, governed by you know twenty nine of the largest companies uh, in the world, right? Everyone from IBM to you know to there's just they and the the go forward on on the design and the open source capabilities of the Hedera Hashgraph are are dictated by those twenty nine companies, and I'm sure that you know over time they'll they'll They'll, they'll, they'll have some companies will drop off, other companies will come on, but it, but it's it's basically uh, not proprietary in that it has um, this governing council behind it, right? Um, and what we are so so what we have here is the ability for every single consumer to have a wallet on on the drop payment platform and every merchant to have a, um, you know, have a, have a wallet or an account on, on the drop payment platform. And in order f- for consumers to fund their wallet, we're talking to a number of banks about doing that with an RTP transaction with a real time payment. Or, uh, and when fed now goes live, that could be an option as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's funding. And also, would that be moving the funds from the wallet for, you know, the money they've made on, like, say, yeah. their sales as well? 
Absolutely. So, that, and matter of fact, that's the easiest one to do, right? So at the end of the day, when the merchant wants their money, they can get their money in real time. They wouldn't have to wait three days for an ACH. So if you're a small merchant and you're on Amazon and, and you might meet a girl that you want to go out on a date with and your money is in a PayPal wallet or something, right? And you can't get that out in real time, right? you might want to use something like drop, right? So that way, if you make sales on Friday, you can have your money on Friday, right? So, you know, you can get to, uh, you know, you could pay for dinner, <laughs> you know? I that might have to reevaluate the Payments Professor's marketing and sales platform for <laughs> courses now and just sell individual, you know, videos. I mean, that, that is great stuff. I, Richard, yeah. I got to tell you, in just a few minutes here, it's amazing what we have done on the journey for electronic payments, all the way yeah. from you're talking about physically processing of checks to a Hedera Hashcraft. And yeah. I love it that the best guests always give homework. And you even said, we don't have enough time. You're going to have to go find out more about yeah. it. And it's environmentally friendly. Um, I, I got. I mean, I, before I let you go, I got to ask: What else should people know about the history of payments? And and I'd ask: Where do you think it's going next? Where do I think it's going next? I I do believe micropayments, and I do believe that real time payments are are the future, right? So, I mean, I think some sometimes it may I laugh a little bit, and no offense to all my partners that it's all my old friends that are still working in the ACH, but, but, you know, at some point, the, not only the banking industry, but, but the businesses that are dependent on, on re receiving uh, and, and sending out payments are going to realize that the real value of a real-time payment isn't just that you can get paid immediately. It's that, especially with the clearinghouse payment settlement network, is that every single payment gets settled as the payment is being processed, which means that not only are you receiving funds in real-time, the bookkeeping is being done in real time, which, so I'll tell you one last story. I, I actually did the design and development work for JP Morgan's real-time payments network before I retired. That was my last job there. And we, the first, the first million payments we processed in real-time payments, we had about 27 inquiries for a million payments, like in customer service. And most of them were like, how did this payment get processed so fast, right? We, 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 had, no, we had no differences. The payments processed immediately. We had no reconcilement staff, right? Every other type of payment we needed to reconcile. I started as a reconcilement clerk back in, in 1969. I couldn't believe that we put together a payments platform that didn't need to be reconciled. And that was all because of the way the clearinghouse does the settlement for these payments. So it's- So no more having to be the person with the reject pile and manually right. add up and right. balancing everything out. Right, right. And, and no more calls to customer service, where's my payment? Because your payment's already there, right? So, so the amount of money that in back office customer service 
that real-time payments can save a company or a bank, the banks aren't factoring into the value proposition for pay, for real-time payments. So they're just sitting there going, oh, I got another kind of payment I have to process. But they don't realize that for every real-time payment, they're going to be saving money on the, on the back-end reconciliation because it's immediate and there's no and there's no need to reconcile it. And you're going to get less customer service calls. So, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And then, and then companies like drop are really going to be the future, right? You can whip out an app, get paid at point of sale. You can get paid or you could buy, you know, just a piece of whatever you want instead of having a monthly, having to do a monthly subscription and you can extend it to, you know, to, to driving and tolls and everything else. So I think that, that, you know, real-time payments is, is just scratching the surface, you know, of, of what, of what they're currently doing. And, and, and while they're just scratching the surface, you know, if you include Zelle person to person and, and the transaction volume that's going through the clearinghouse, you know, they're up to four or five, six million payments a day. Wow. You know? So, so, it's and they only started. I mean, it's 2020, just turned 2023. We processed our first real time payment in like November of 2017. Uh -huh. So, you know, in the first year, we had little a little bit of volume because we had to convince people it worked. But, uh, you know, then by 2018, in four years, I mean, it's just it's just um, mushroomed, it's been huge. Well, Richard, I gotta tell you. You, 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 you told us about drop, but you've also dropped some incredible knowledge on us. Mm -hmm. And even though we're running out of time, there is one last question that I've got to ask. I usually ask everybody. And if I don't ask you, I know listeners are going to get upset because you've had an incredible career across multiple decades, multiple payment channels. Mm -hmm. And that question is this. For somebody who's, let's say, is new starting off in the world of electronic payments now, somebody yeah. who's looking to advance their career in payments. What mm -hmm. advice would you give them? What would you say, hey, if you really want to have a successful career in payments, you want to advance your career in payments, this is my advice to you. What what would you say? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's important to know how the whole process, right? So, so it's important to know how payments get initiated and and from initiation to follow that workflow all the way through to execution. And what it may seem complicated, but it's really very simple because whether you're processing a check or an ACH payment or a credit card payment or a real-time payment, it's all the same information, right? It's all based on the same basic information. It's the routing transit number of the bank, the the account number of the customer, the amount of the payment, the date of the payment, the, you know, and, and so, you know, those key elements of, of the, of the payment are pretty much the same across all the payment types with the exception of card because card uses a bin number instead of a routing transit number. And a bin number, the first four digits of that bin number are still the bank number. So it's it's analogous too, right? So it's not it's it's not any different. So 
So take the time to learn the details around how the payments actually work. Um, and then once you understand it, everything else becomes very simple. You know, that's, that's what I would say. You, you have to learn the plumbing, unfortunately. You know? Learn the plumbing. What great advice. Rick, Richard Ray, I got to tell you, thank you for being on the Payments Podium. For all my listeners out there, if there is somebody you would like to have on the Payments Podium, if there's a topic you'd like to have discussed, something of that, if you want to get a hold of Richard, he's on LinkedIn. You'll be able to find him or you can email me with all of that previous, a speaker, a topic or getting in touch with Richard. It's Kevin at PaymentsProfessor.com. Look forward to having you guys in the next class. But for now, I have to say class dismissed. Take care. <laughs>